You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Liz Dow, author of the book, Six Degrees of Connection, and CEO of Leadership Philadelphia, a leadership development and civic affairs organization bringing people together across sectors to serve and strengthen the greater Philadelphia community. Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura. It's so great to have a chance to talk with you more in depth because I was fortunate enough to be a member of Leadership Philadelphia in one of the previous year's cohorts and just the chance to come together with a hundred or so other leaders from for-profit, non-profit, utility, you know, funeral homes to, to parks and recreation to, you know, you, I mean, it was just amazing to see what happens when you bring a group that's that diverse in industry, in skill set, in demographic and everything else together. It was such a fabulously unique experience. So I want to thank you first and foremost for putting that together and, and letting me be a part of it. Thank you. It's good to have you in class. So for everybody else out who has not had a chance to experience Leadership Philadelphia, tell us a little bit about it. What's your 30 second elevator pitch? Well, Leadership is a nonprofit organization founded 62 years ago to mobilize and connect the talent of the private sector to serve the community. And we're the model for a thousand others like it around the United States. That's amazing that there's that many different chapters bringing together the civic organizations as well as corporations and kind of everything in between. And the sad thing is we really need to have like 10,000 more of them. That is just the work is never done, to say the least. So thank you for your tenacity in it. Someone has to connect the public and private sectors for the common good. So that's what we do. Exactly. Exactly. It was fabulous to be part of it. In doing all of that, what's your favorite part of your job and why? Uh, Well, I'm very lucky that I have a meaningful job. So my favorite part is all this work is very purposeful. So there are about 5,000 people, executives walking around Philadelphia with a stronger sense of purpose, and therefore they're performing better and they're giving back to the community. So I'm very grateful for that. Yes. And what's something that's exciting or that's new upcoming for Leadership Philadelphia? And how, when you think about the various stakeholders involved, Mm -hmm. how do you have to adjust your messaging when conveying these ideas or pitching the, the concepts, et cetera, to those different groups? Okay. So I talked to about 50 of our alumni just to sort of get my finger on the pulse of what's going on with them. And pretty much all of them are at their wits end right now. And And why is that wits end with regard to? Why is that COVID, Philadelphia, America? (laughs) Uh, You know, all the difficult things going on right now. Sure. And so they're a little bit lost and these are all high performers and they would like to perform, continue to be high performers, but they've had a rough couple of years. Mm. So as I listened to what they needed, I thought they need inspiration, they need redirection. So I created something called Leadership Reboot So this will be a six-session series for our alumni only, where we will have them re-examine their brand. We will have them think more about their legacy, 
everyone in the program gets a development plan. They'll get that development plan back and we'll talk about what still holds and what needs to change. So part of our brand is we make this intentionally warm and loving. And so they have a place to go with other smart people who they would be predisposed to like who will become friends because we create a very intimate environment. We have very intense conversations that really bond people. And in terms of the different stakeholders, uh, I guess the first stakeholder group I had to convince was my board. Mm. And with them, I guess it was convincing them that we could fill the class. It would add to the bottom line that we have the resources without tapping our resources and that it wouldn't cannibalize core class. Sure. And with the people who were going out to recruit We will want to remind them of what they got out of the core program. What were those feelings that really energized them back then? How will this compare to that? And that they'll get to meet new friends because people are thrilled to have like pre-qualified friends introduced to them who are like-minded. And then for the sponsors, I think we need to talk about this as a tool to retain employees because we've got a lot of big employees in town and they're losing some of their talent around work-life balance issues or better perks at other organizations. So this is the kind of a perk, which if your company invested in it, you might be more likely to stay longer. Mm, Sure. Sure. So it's all, is it about what's in it for you? Well, that's always the question, right? What's in it for you? But is it for you personally? Is it for your company? Is it for, yeah, so interesting. And as far as your skills are concerned as a communicator, what's something that you're really good at? And what's something you wish you were better at? The really good one would say one-on-one, I can get people to talk to me about just about anything. So it's about making someone comfortable and signaling that you're not going to judge what they're saying. And I guess a specific example of the way that looks is everyone who comes into our core program gets an interview 30 minutes with someone else and then 30 minutes with me. And I ask really intense questions like, tell me about a character building moment, you know, tell me about somebody you've admired and why is it that you admire them? And Often at the end of this, they'll tell me things. My staff is always astonished at what I learned up front, but they'll tell me things that they say, my spouse is the only person that knows this, or please don't write this down. And I think the skill set is to make someone feel comfortable and heard and not judged. Mm. So I think that's the skill. And then what would I like to be better at? I am very comfortable at the podium because I've done it so often. I've been, this is my 29th year of running this organization. And I was a senior VP in a bank before of HR. So I was up in front of people a lot, but I am too dependent on my notes. So I script everything that I'm going to say, and I practice it a few times and I probably could go through it without my notes, but I just have this mental attachment to notes in case I forget but I would love to free myself from that attachment to notes. Now, I have to cover some very specific information when I'm running a program, you know, like introductions and context and all that. And I'm better at Q&A because it's more spontaneous, but I would love to wean myself from notes. And, you know, I'm actually going to dissect a little bit or at least disaggregate two points that you mentioned. I think there's a distinction between using notes and using a script. Okay. Because, you know, when it's scripted out, it's the verbatim, right? The word for word with little to no deviation, ad-libbing, right. stylization of the moment, et cetera. 
And there's so many people who I work with when I am helping them with it, prepare for a speech, prepare for a TED talk, prepare for a conference presentation. And TED talk's a little different because that is supposed to be scripted, but there's this odd kind of false binary belief that either you have to script it out or you can wing it. Right. And that those are the only choices, even for presenting to the board, presenting to your department, presenting in a sales meeting. It's like, well, I got to be me and I, I don't want to be constrained by a script. So I need to be extemporaneous and wing it. Or no, I have to make sure it's completely controlled and I have to make sure everything is perfect, quote unquote. So I script it out and then I end up sounding like a fifth grader reading my what I did on my summer vacation essay, you know, very kind of stilted and the best part of your personality doesn't come out. So you don't connect as well. And I find that I have to really work with people to get past that black and white mentality, that it's being prepared, creating notes, creating bullet points, keywords, concepts, organizing the flow in advance. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. We should be prepared, just not necessarily glued to the script or not not worrying about memorization, because if you forget one thing when you're memorizing all of a sudden your whole train derails and that's, we don't want to be stuck to something like that. So uh, I think it's terrific to wean off of the script where necessary, but without feeling like you have to then just put on a blindfold, give yourself a cigarette and, you know, a couple of darts and start throwing. That's not the alternative. So, you know, being able to, to find that happy medium Definitely doable. So I highly encourage you and everybody else out there to yes, prepare, yes, practice, yes, rehearse, yes, organize without that need for the crutch or otherwise feeling like it's just going to be flying by the seat of your pants. Somewhere in the middle, everybody's going to be really happy. Thank you. That's very useful. Thank you. No, it's really because everybody does tend to assume that notes equals script and they're really totally different. So thank you for the opportunity to highlight that little point of distinction. Now, What about role models? Who is someone who you have always admired as a great speaker and why? Uh, That one's easy. So her name is Linda Wayman, and she is an educational pioneer. She was the principal of Strawberry Mansion High School in Philadelphia, which was one of the most dangerous schools in America. And when Diane Sawyer at 6ABC was trying to do an expose on dangerous schools, they had them listed. Strawberry Mansion was at the top, and she went to Linda who was profiled on ABC about this. And in terms of her speaking, I feel as though she is practically channeling God when she speaks. She yes. has no notes. Now, I we're friends, and so I know that she scripts it and then leaves all of her notes behind. But she has no notes, and her voice is so powerful. She can get loud. She's just comfortable with all the emotions of what's going on. And you and I have talked before. Both of us saw her for the first time at this Pennsylvania Women's Forum, where she was the lead. She came in the warm-up act before Hillary Clinton, and this was two years before Hillary ran for president, and she got this roaring standing ovation. Oh, yeah. Hillary got a polite (laughs) ovation, and she's just incredible. So that's my role model. Yes, and it's been interesting to watch her evolution as a speaker because I'm making a note to myself right now. So everybody in the show notes, I'll put a link to Linda Clyatt Wayman's some YouTube, I'm sure it's a TED talk video. Of, TED talk. And she's got the TED talk, and but she's also, you know, her talk from the women's convention is is also available and some other things. I mean, a TED talk, you have to script. There's no, that's sort of the rule. I've done a number of them. I've coached for TED. That's a whole different beast of a speech in and of itself. But hearing 
when Linda first came out on stage for that talk that day at the Pennsylvania Women's Conference before Hillary Clinton and all that kind of stuff, I think she was new to the public eye outside of the educational world in Philadelphia. And this was so, I mean, there were, what, seven or 8,000 women mm-hmm. in, at the convention center. And heck, she was, like you said, the warm back for Hillary Clinton. This is not exactly small potatoes, right. regardless of which side you vote for in the end. Mm-hmm. And so she was so humble and so, you know, despite the powerhouse of a person that she is, and she was so raw and so authentic, despite the fact that it was scripted, like nobody faulted her for that whatsoever. I mean, most people would have lost their wits, to say the least, (laughs) on that stage in that day, not being used to being outside of your your industry, so to speak. And so when she came up, oh my gosh, I mean, I caught myself holding my breath listening to her speak. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place by the time she was done. You know, I actually felt sorry for Hillary Clinton afterwards. I'm going, I do know you and Regardless of your politics, I do know you don't have the charisma to compete with that. Right. So, you know, you would have been better being off her, being her warm up. But nevertheless, she she was fabulous. And it's been interesting to watch Linda Wayman's evolution as a speaker over the years where now she's I don't think she needs to script anymore. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's talked about the same topic. She can get up there and just nail it and kill it. Full authority, full confidence, full whatever else. But to everybody else out there, by all means, please go in and check her out. We'll get some YouTube links and uh, the link to her TED Talk and whatnot. Uh, make a note there. So what a great example. Thank you for reminding me of her. Well, let me also add this for anybody that's listening again, because Linda and I are friends. She is mortified before every speech, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, she is just a killer public speaker, but she is nervous until she starts to talk. And then once she opens her mouth and starts to talk, she's fine. You know, so many people go through that uh, initial jitters, as it were. And Barbara Streisand was known for that. Donovan McNabb was oh. known for throwing up before <laughs> games started. And you know, there's so many people who the anticipatory adrenaline becomes overwhelming. And one of the things that I always counsel my clients on when they're preparing for those moments, knowing that a couple of things real quick, that if you know that it's just the first minute or two where you're a hot mess and then you get into your groove and you're good to go, two things. One, my forward secret to confident public speaking is simply it's not about you. Ah. And as soon as you remember that is it's nobody's looking, judging, whatever else, they're there because they're dying to hear what you have to say. And when you remember that, that you've got something important to share, a value to them, that you want to give value in what you're sharing, focus on them. And that helps, number one. And if nothing else, you may not have time to rehearse and memorize and whatever the whole talk, whatever context it is. But one thing you can memorize is the first minute. There's something about just memorizing your opening, even if it's a welcome, even if it's just going through the agenda of the meeting, even if it's just an overview of some sort, memorize the first two, three, four sentences, because that's usually where people stumble, bumble, fumble and try to figure out what it because it seems like it should be easy because it's just, you know, the opening stuff. It's not the hardcore technical right, content. Right. But then they get up there and they just go. Bleh, 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 bleh. And they're like, how do I sound this stupid? But if you just memorize that couple of sentences, how do you want to welcome people? How do you want to begin and kick off the meeting, et cetera? Then you're on autopilot. And you've already launched yourself into the rest of the talk. And then you get into the content and you're fine and you're good to go. You got past that first minute of jitters of sorts. So go ahead and script those first couple of welcoming sentences. And then you're off to the races. It just makes everything so much easier. Having no butterflies is not the goal. You just don't want the butterflies to overrun the farm. That's the key. (laughs) Great advice. Thank you. So 
All right. What about style shifting? You know, you've talked a lot about working with the board and working with sponsors and working with alumni and working with stakeholders and all sorts of other groups through the course of your career, either back in the day or more recently. How have you had to learn to shift your communication style or your approach to more effectively connect with these different groups? And was it ever a difficult transition? Well, I have a tool, just like you just gave that you know, first minute thing. I have a tool that I use for a lot of different things. And it's that Myers-Briggs test that a lot of people have heard of. It's a temperament test. It's been around for a very long time, but I use it to assess audiences. So an audience is my audience, our leadership audience is filled with senior level professionals, and it's going to break into two groups. And I cannot just focus on one of those two groups because each one deserves to get a message in a way that they're comfortable receiving it. So there are the people who are very concrete. So they need things, they need the information to be linear, factual. They like five senses. It has to be simple and clear. The other, I'll call it creative for lack of another word, those people like metaphors and analogies and possibilities. So to use a specific example, on our opening core class, I need to explain to people what's going to happen this year. So, and I know I've got a mixed group. And again, I'm more comfortable in the creative role. That's where I fall, but it doesn't matter what I'm more comfortable with. It matters how the audience receives the message. So for the concrete people, I talk about, this is what the agenda is going to be. These are who the speakers are. These are the goals and roles. This is the staff. These are the dates we're going to meet. So lots of very clear linear information, and that gets them into their comfort zone. And for the creatives, I talk about possibilities that you're going to meet people in this room that you never would have met, and you're going to think it's been magic the way we put the team together for you. And I use more emotional words with them and more words that are about possibility. So I would say that's the main thing. Oh, I'll I'll throw this one out. So there's the golden rule and the platinum rule, which the Mm -hmm. golden rule do unto others is you would have done unto you. The platinum rule is do unto others as they want done unto them. So it's about the audience. What does the audience need in order to receive your message? Not what you want to do, but what do they need? Yes, yes. And sometimes it can be really hard to A, ascertain that, but also once you have ascertained it, to be willing to step into it when it's just not your typical approach to things, you know, learning to really readjust. So I'm so glad. And you're the only person I've, the only other person besides me who I've ever heard refer to it as the platinum rule. So I love that you, uh, that we apparently see great minds think alike. I knew I had you on here for a reason. (laughs) Yes. Well, and you can kind of sniff out who the audience is going to be. If if it was a room full of FBI agents and pilots and people with very concrete work, it's going to be the concrete people. And if it's a room full of artists or creative, innovative people, you can push that, but chances are any room you're going to be speaking in has a mix of people. Yes. Yes. There's the the macro culture of the organization and then there's the micro cultures of the individuals, as it were. There's definitely a difference when I'm talking to a bunch of, you know, women entrepreneurs versus a group of engineers and, and IT people from who's, who is the super concrete? No, I need things to fit into Excel categories. They need yes. to fit in. It's a row or it's a column. Make it fit versus, yes, yes, very different audience. All right, Liz, this brings us to our 24-hour influence challenge. And this is my invitation to you to speak directly to our listeners and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours 
to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Okay, I'm going to share with you my favorite question to ask someone and to get my classes to ask someone, which is, what is the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you? When you ask that question, you get such a beautiful story in response. It doesn't matter who you talk to. It could be someone in your family or at work or in the community or even I've done it with strangers a couple of times. It allows them to have a memory that's very positive. Often people will cry when they do it. So I'm all about, you know, I'm a connector and I'm all about helping people to find that point of connection and asking that question, you'll find a connection in the answer. That is really beautiful. Asking somebody, not just you know, what's something that you've done for others or what's uh, you know, something, a role model or an inspirational moment, but the kindest thing anyone. And there's something about the word kind. Yes. Because it's not about trying to impress you. It's not about generosity necessarily insofar as money or time or whatever. It can be anything. What makes something, and tell me if I'm wrong in my interpretation as I think through this, but that the notion of something that you personally would identify as being a kind moment is simply from the heart. It touches your heart, yeah. regardless of whether it touches your brain, your wallet, your car, your right. anything else. It's a heart moment. Am I interpreting that right? Yes, I would agree with you. And I once heard Marcus Buckingham talking about what's the difference between leaders and managers. And he said something that I absolutely love and have stuck with. Leaders speak to the universal. And I think kindness coming from the heart speaks to the universal in people. So it's a way to connect because of that heart connection. Yes, yes, it really does transcend role and status and org charts and, and race. I mean, you know, it, yes. it is a great builder of bonds. I love that. Okay, everybody, you got it. Here's your instructions. Go and ask, and not just tell somebody, ask someone else. What an interesting way to bond with other people and learn something about them that I bet they have not had as an icebreaker at a networking event before. So there you go. Inspire others. All right. So now we've talked about a lot of the things that we've done effectively. Let's look at some missteps along the way. Tell me about a communication related mistake that you've made at some point. And if you either had or could have a do over, what would it look like? Well, I would say I made it a lot and I've it's taken me forever to change it. And I, I think I'm there now. But the idea is I'm a very direct person. I mean, I'm mm. culturally Midwestern and it's also my personality. I'm an MBA. I'm like, just the facts, ma'am. So that is how I'm wired. And early on in my career, I would send out memos and they would say, ABC has happened and therefore I need you to do D by January 31st. And they would just be the facts of it. And it's actually the way I talked to people too. And I got some feedback when I was young to stop doing that, that I had to be, I had to open with something warm and close with something warm because it would piss people off if it was just too transactional, mm. a memo. And I, I just didn't know any better. I was young, but also it's my temperament. And so over the years, I have worked on that, always having the beginning and the end, even on an email of a communication being a little warmer, a little more personal. I mean, I had to be taught... 
my staff would laugh at this, but I mean, I walk in the room and I'm ready to sit at my desk and start working. But what my staff has taught me is to stop and ask them how their weekend was, how their kids are. It's just not natural for me, but you can learn that. And it's extremely important in relating to other people. So my favorite way of reminding of myself, and then sometimes when we get a young person working here, I remind them, the CEO in the company I worked for before this was a Texan. And so I did it a couple of times there. And he said, southernize that. You have to southernize it. And yes. so that always reminds me to just be a little warmer, gentler in my communications. Nice, nice. It's interesting that you mentioned the differences in regional and if something is, you know, how diplomatic does it need to be? How personal do you need to make it? How much buffer and things? I, I just finished reading another book and I'll, I can put the link in the chat for everybody else. It's called Digital Body Language. Oh. Um, the author is Erica Dewan, but it's looking at everything from generational differences to to an extent, cultural and international, different dialects and language speakers and things. But even from platforms, when you're using email versus when you're texting versus when you're using something else, you know, when the role of emojis, the role of exclamation marks versus periods, you know, does it matter to some groups if you write out OKAY versus OK? Yes. And is there a period without a happy face after it? Like how we interpret so much. We read so much meaning into what is or isn't there in just a couple of pieces of text. And so she refers to it as digital body language. Nice. But uh, a lot of it is about, is it necessary to have that you know personalization? Hi, how are you? Hope you had a great weekend right. at the beginning versus, oh my gosh, just, you know, what do you want? Or, right. and how different people, there are so many variables she brought up. I really thought, oh my God, I, I mean, I haven't even thought about half of this stuff, but okay. Note to self, start paying more attention to to certain factors. But and actually, the, my question for you is is further. I want to go back a little bit to something you said. It was interesting that you described yourself as the Midwesterner, as someone who's very direct and sort of just the facts. But that previously you had identified yourself as more the creative type who likes to use the big picture and the metaphors and the that kind of more. I'll use the word flowery language to an extent, as opposed to just saying, here's the agenda, here's what you're going to get out of the program, here's, you know, those kinds of things. How do those two reconcile? It's interesting. It's been a, like a continuous theme. I, I have an MBA in finance and I have a master's degree in counseling. So mm. I have both sides of my head there and I just have to make sure that I engage both of them. So I think it's a matter of getting to know so many people. And again, because I've been doing work where my life touches a lot of people for a long time. I think it's realizing, again, I care about connection and trust. And you really have to know the other person and communicate that you care about the other person. So I think the operational side of me says, I've got to do all this right. So leadership has a great brand. We've got a good bottom line. But the human side of me says, and no one else is so loving with their clients as we are. And the warmth that you share with someone else is what makes them want to work with you. So I think yes. it's just what I've learned over time. Sure. That's so interesting to think about. Okay, you've got your MBA brain and your master's in HR brain and one's the numbers and the spreadsheets and the other is the pictures and the diagrams and the creative parts. So see, it is possible to have both everybody out there. You can develop the other side. Well, it is. And in my very first job out of grad school, I was the director of financial aid at Swarthmore College. And somebody asked me, well, what is your job? And I say, I have a computer in one hand and a box of Kleenex in the other. And I <laughs> need to work with both. That's funny. All depending on what the computer is doing. Sometimes the computer makes you want the tissue. I, I completely yes. appreciate that, yes. uh, especially when it doesn't work the way you want it to. Right. Now, 
let's talk about when other people are having some challenges, perhaps making mistakes or otherwise. What's an example of a time when you had to share some bad news or initiate a different conversation? How'd you handle it? And should you have done anything differently? Let's see. So as head of HR, I had to fire probably a hundred people in my last job. And Mm. it takes a while to learn how to do that because it's so hard. I mean, I always would feel like I'm going to go in and murder some. It's so... (laughs) And I lost a job once, so I know what it's like being on the other end of that conversation. So what I have learned that you need to do in that situation is, again, like the platinum rule, that situation is not about you, it's about them. Hmm. So you need to think about what do I have to say that will minimize our legal risks, that will make that person feel that their dignity is preserved at the end of this conversation, and that I actually care about them in this interaction. So, you know, I would always like, take a deep breath. And I wouldn't go in with a script for that one. I would have it all in my head. And I would, to open up the conversation, I would say, I'm afraid that I have some bad news because that Mm. sort of gets them ready for it. And then I would be specific. You're supposed to be very short, make it brief when you're having this conversation. And then I would end with something specific and positive that I knew about them and how I know how hard they work to make a contribution in the organization. So it just, yeah. and it takes a while to learn how to do that. But it is one of my pet peeves when people who are terminating someone only think about their own discomfort and they they just want to get in and out. They don't say anything nice. They just essentially say you're fired and you're going out the door in, you know, at the end of the day, or you'll be escorted out of the building. And that's so cruel and unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, that does not sound like a fun situation to be in. And to have to do it a hundred times, I I mean, talk about Groundhog Day. That's yes, yes. That's hellacious. Yes. Glad you don't have to do that anymore. Well, I have fired people here too, but yeah. Oh, sure, but not in that mass. Not, not those numbers. Yeah. No, gosh. I'm I'm assuming there was a, a merger or an acquisition or, you know, some sort of right. yes. Yeah, so, yikes. Oh goodness gracious. Well, glad that we're not in that situation anymore. Now, what about virtually? Because we're all now, it's been going on two years in this almost all video, almost all the time situation. For you and your team overall, how has your virtual presence improved in the last year? And what do you think would help to be even more effective on video moving forward? Mostly, I thought about how hard their lives are right now. And therefore, we have to warm everything up and make it as cozy as we can and get the content across. So when you say their lives, do you mean your employees' lives or your the participants? The participants. So okay. we're doing for core class, for example, there's a hundred people on the other end of Zoom once a month for right. a full day. Okay. So a couple of the things we did, you know, we talked about how can we soften up. I added many, many more interactive exercises. So instead of having this person present, then that person, then that person, then a break. I try to insert an interactive exercise between each one of the straight presentations. So they have a chance to talk to someone, which is very important in this time of isolation, and they can get up and move around. I added more breaks. I made the lunchtime longer and I shortened the class because I realized last year's class, which you were in, we stuck with the 8.30 to 4.30. And that was too much to expect of someone on Zoom. So we shortened class by an hour. So it was really thinking about like the creature comfort, the experience of, you know, we want this to be a positive experience that we have certain things we have to teach them, but we don't want them exhausted at the end of the day. So they're not listening. So that's mostly how we've changed. And what we can do better. What we're working on is 
I'm working on trying to be warmer on camera, which does not come to me naturally. I'm best in a room with people. So for example, when we have the core class in person, we hug everybody on the way in, hug them on the way out. And I'm up at the podium and I talk to people and I'm going around the room talking to people here. You've just got me on a screen. So they know me from the interview, but I'm like all business again, I guess. this is, And I'm not an actress in any way. So, you know, I'm like Midwestern direct. So more like a journalist. So I could use some coaching in how to come across more warmly. I mean, one of my board members said, you know, all that warmth that I feel from you in person, I don't see that on the camera. And Mm. he's absolutely right. So I would, I could use coaching in that. I think that's something that most people feel that they know how to be great in person, but something about being on camera, of course, that you're not actually in the presence, in the energy of other people, Mm -hmm. but that's something about just staring at the little black dot of the camera lens kind of sucks the life out of you. And all that natural charisma goes right out the window. So you got to find that magic glue to connect it back together again. Which you have. So thank you for demonstrating it. (laughs) Very kind. Thank you. And it is something that I really do love to teach my clients about and uh, help people bring back. Because once they figure out there's a few little things that you can do and it just it's amazing the difference that little things make. And so as as one tip for everybody out there, especially when you can't see the other people who you're talking to, if they don't have their cameras on or you're pre-recording something, you need to find a muse. So it, you know, on your phones nowadays, everybody has a thousand photographs of your family, your dog, your whatever it is. Like find one of your favorite photos of your favorite people and print it out small, you know, norm, like whatever, three by five or something like that. And then just tape it right above or below or right next to the camera. And because when you look at that photo, like you just can't help but love it. It's your kid or it's your oh. you and your best friends or at a big birthday party or, you know, winter you know, New Year's celebration or something. And just talk to them, just whatever feeling they evoke oh. out of you, just let that flow and keep talking to them as if you care about them and you want them to know this thing. And there's just something dumb. It's part of actually your mirror neurons, the way that the brain mm-hmm. works psychologically that, you know, when you see someone smile, you naturally smile back at them. You know, if they nod at you, you naturally nod back. It's sort of that reflex. You don't even think about it. You just do it unconsciously. So you can feed your mirror neurons a steady diet of healthy behavioral input. So if you give your give yourself a picture of people that you absolutely love smiling at you, yeah. and it just makes you smile back at them. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, look at that. There's your soul that just came back onto the camera. So wonderful. Thank you. Boy, that's a gift to everybody <laughs> listening. And thank you for a gift to me. Thank you. And it's fun because it humanizes your day too. You get to spend more time with the people that you love and and going back to your happy place and a moment in time that you really enjoyed. And you know, it could be that your kids sent you pictures of your grandkids who so you don't get to see that often. Just stick them on up there. So go to your happy place. It does come through on video. Fabulous. Now, what about if you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates and what's the one thing they need to do to be successful? Well, I always used to think about what is the secret of life? And so in this job, I get access to so much information, so many different people. I think it is that everything, everyone waits to be noticed. So I would say, please give people the gift of your attention. It's very empowering to them. It's another way for you to connect with people. So I would say, give people your full attention. Yes. And hopefully everyone else has been completely inspired by this conversation and given us 
their full attention as they're listening to this podcast. Although the beauty of a podcast is that you get to do it or listening while you're making dinner, while you're folding laundry, while you're in the car, you get to take us with you everywhere. So hopefully you're giving us your total auditory attention while you're doing something else. And we are making that job fun. So with that, Liz, how can people learn more about you and Leadership Philadelphia? There's a website, leadershipphiladelphia.org. You can check in there. Absolutely will. And of course, we will put that on the show notes for everybody to check in on later as well. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us more about Leadership Philadelphia. Thank you. And thank you for your good advice. (laughs) And to everybody else out there, thank you for joining in and be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so, so that you never miss an episode. Don't forget also, if you're feeling that kindness that Liz so generously mentioned earlier, don't forget to go in and give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for your best virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.